This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. Everyone says amen. Okay, good evening everybody. Um, we're going to start a series um, titled The Character of God. And um, so what will happen is that wherever I stop, every time I come up, we will just continue, right? But today, what I want to do is a kind of overview um, of like an introduction, right? And then we'll flow from there. I think it's important that we know um, who God is within the ambit of what is revealed in scripture. Praise God. Um, you know how that the Bible says that his ways are past finding. And that is very true, right? Praise God. But um, his ways are revealed in scripture, right? Within the limits that we can comprehend. <laughs> Praise God. So um, when we open God's word, we can know the Lord. We can know his character. We can know his attributes. Praise Lord. Um, and it is what is written that we can know. Yeah, we can't know beyond that. So we won't form that we want to know beyond that. Praise God. So that's why we are not of day who travel through dimensions and portals. Um, we are of day who stick to the word to know what has been revealed. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, that said, because of this introduction, uh, one of the things that will happen is that um, you, I, I may be leaning a lot towards um, charismatics at the beginning. Um, I try to avoid this. Um, I try to push it to the end. So maybe the last time I will talk about this, then I will not talk about the charismatic part. But um, as much as I try to avoid it, um, I can't shake it off my head. So that's where I'm going to start from. So we may not go so deep into the character, character, but it's an introduction. Amen? Okay. Exodus chapter 33, from verse 12 to 23. It's a long read, so I'll just run through it. Exodus 33, 12 to 23. It says that Moses says to the Lord, you have been telling me to lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And this is where my whole story starts from. Moses said, now show me your glory. Verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and leave. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. 
now in chapter 34 verse 5 to 7 is where the real is where the event happened so in verse 5 it says then the lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name the lord and he passed in front of moses proclaiming proclaiming his character it says the lord the lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Amen. Amen. So the story is that Moses saw the face of God and he said, show me your glory. And the way God responded to Moses was not, is not the way, um, permit me, okay? It's not the way um, charismatic and Pentecostals would have expected that the Lord will respond. Because when we gather together in our meetings and we say, Lord, we want to see your glory, sometimes what we think of is that we want to fall down, we want to see moves, we want to see chairs scattered, right? We want to see camera of one million naira break. But the way the Lord answered Moses, he said, Moses said, show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause my goodness to pass before you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, to you. And then in the event when it actually happened, the Bible says that the Lord descended in a cloud. But the testimony of Moses was not just a cloud. When Moses came down from that mountain, if they had asked him that what happened on the mountain, his testimony would not have been that, I saw God, I saw a cloud. That wouldn't have been enough. Right? Because what Moses was asking for, if you read further, was not just that I want to have a weasel as an experience. It was not just that I want to catch vibes. It was not just I want to see visions and revelations. It was that I want to know your ways. And so the Lord said, I will come. I will show you my glory. But God's answer was not just a cloud. God's answer was a revelation of his character. Amen. Amen. The answer to God, to the answer of God to Moses in the revelation of his glory, what God called, in quotes, the revelation of his glory was actually his character. So God passed before Moses and proclaimed his name, the Lord. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, the gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This scripture, this particular verse, um, these verses, verses six and seven, is like the John 3.16 of ancient people. You know how that's our memory verse? Or the scripture all of us know is John 3.16. 
but scattered through the scriptures more than 20 times, we see references to this statement that the Lord is compassionate, is gracious, is slow to anger, is abounding in loyal love and faithfulness. That this is the character of God. This is who we know God to be. Everything that we know about God started from this revelation. Our understanding of new creation realities, our understanding of what Christ came to do for us started from here. That this God has a character, and in his character, he shows compassion, loyal love, faithfulness. He forgives sins. Even though he forgives sins, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. And that is not a paradox. <laughs> well, moving forward, we'll talk about that. So, but the first lesson I want us to glean um, as a people with a charismatic ecclesiology, as in Pastor words, is that the revelation of God to Moses came in an experience, came in a supernatural experience. Praise God. Hallelujah. The revelation of God to Moses, the revelation of the character of God to Moses came in a supernatural experience. But like I said earlier, the end was not the experience. The end was the fruits that came out of the experience. Does that make sense? Yes. Remember what I said, that our gathering is not to the end, that chairs break. Truly, chairs can break. Um, truly, people can be overwhelmed by the presence of God, right? and they will fall down. It does happen. Of course, there are people who have extremes. Our, our, our teachers also deal with extremes. It does happen that people can fall down. It does happen that people can completely just yield every self-control <laughs> and just go wild. It does happen. But for us as ministers and other, as fellow believers also, we will not see that and say that this is all there is to the glory of God. When we pray for a glorious meeting, when we pray um, for a glorious evangelism, it will not be that because people got healed alone that you will think that that is the end of the glory of God, right? The glory of God is revealed in the character of God, in everything he declared to Moses on that mountain. Amen? Amen. Okay. Don't hear that, you know, say, I did not say that if God heals a sick person, it's not the glory of God manifesting. I'm saying that that is not the end. God wants you to know him. God wants to reveal himself to you. Hallelujah. Okay. So I was saying the other time that Moses' testimony was not just going to be, um, it was not just going to end in, I saw a cloud. Just like for us, our testimony will not just end in, I saw a vision. Um, it, was, it wasn't just, I had a prophecy. It wasn't just that I saw a cloud. Uh, Moses' testimony was that the Lord declared his character to him. Hallelujah. Now, let me just enter into this whole thing. I think it's going to be short, hopefully. So what I'm going to say first is this. That what gives credence to a supernatural experience is the fruit of the experience, not the level of weirdness of the experience. Amen. Amen. What gives credence or invalidates a supernatural experience is the fruit of the experience, not the weirdness of the experience. For example, Paul's vision on the way to Damascus made him a propagator of the gospel. 
Cornelius saw an angel. If I tell you I saw an angel now, you will cringe. Amen? We'll talk about it. Cornelius saw an angel, but the fruit of that encounter with an angel was the opening of the door of the gospel to the Gentiles. Praise God. So the end of Cornelius' testimony was not just I saw an angel. It was that the gospel was preached to the Gentiles for the first time. The end of Peter's trance on that rooftop was not just a trance. We glory in trances. We glory in the experiences so much that we forget that wrapped up in an experience, they can be the revelation of God. Wrapped up in an experience, there can be fruits that abound. Hallelujah. I'm going somewhere. So Peter fell into a trance on the rooftop. But the end of that trance was not just a few good experience of a trance. The end of that trance was that the gospel was preached to the Gentiles. You all know the story, Abby? Great. So I am saying that just like Moses, as we ascend to this mountain figuratively of prayers and fellowship with God and worship, we can actually come into experiences just like Moses. We can see visions. Because it does happen that you spend time in prayer or in the teaching of the word, and your heart is overwhelmed with the fear of God that leads to repentance. Or we sing in worship, and you just have this overwhelming sense of the love of God that burns your passion with fire, that burns a fire inside you that leads you to seek out the lost, for example. right? There are such experiences that birth fruits experiences like that that birth fruits so people may see a vision people may fall into a trance people may receive an inspiration a prophecy again what gives credence to all of those things and what invalidates all of those things is the fruit that comes out of those things and because we are a church with a charismatic ecclesiology we will not shut down those things Let me show you stuff. How are we expected to handle supernatural experiences in the New Testament as prescribed by the apostles? The apostles prescribed two very important things to do when we, um, when we have these experiences, these supernatural experiences, when someone has a vision, when someone sees an angel, when um, someone has a dream, when someone falls into a trance, when someone has this overwhelming um, feeling of the presence of God in a church and perhaps falls like John, John in the book of Revelation, where it says that when he saw him, he fell before him as one who was dead. You know, where someone has that overwhelming feeling of the presence of God, I've had it before. Today, I'm going to be weird a bit, right? So, allow it. Let all the cringe die. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Today the cringe will die. <laughs> so, how, how do we handle these experiences? What do we do? The first thing the apostles taught us is to quench not. Write it down. Quench not. That's number one. Quench not. I so feel like I'm almost done with my sermon. That's good. That sounds like a good thing. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 to 22. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 19 to 22. The Bible says, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. It says that people can quench the spirits. Relax. I'm going to tell you what it means to quench the spirits. Well, it is most likely what you think. <laughs> Even though it is cringe, it's most likely what you think. That a people can quench the spirits, not because the spirit is fire and you just let it see him, and you quench him, right? But he actually goes on to define what it means to quench the spirit. It is despising his workings. It says, don't quench the spirits. Despise not prophesying. Hold fast to that which is good. Reject that which is evil. It says that the way a person can quench the spirit is to despise what he is doing in their midst. And you will not see it again. I'll give you a practical example. In Mark chapter 6, from verse 1 to 6, the Bible tells us that Jesus went to his hometown and he taught in their synagogue. Listen carefully. It's very important. Jesus, God incarnate, went to his hometown, went into their synagogue. He preached. And people were like, where did he get this wisdom from? Is this not the son of the carpenter that we all know? Are his brothers and sisters not here with us? And the Bible says that they took offense at him. And because they took offense at him, the Bible says that Jesus could not do any mighty works in that place, except that he laid hands on a few people to be healed. And he marveled at their unbelief. It says God incarnate could not do any mighty works there because they were offended at him. They despised him. Remember what I said? That what it means to quench the spirit is to despise his workings, right? So they despised him. But have you really thought about this? That why could God Almighty not do any miracles in his hometown? Why? Can a man resist the will of God? So what we see is simple. All we see is very simple. It's actually very simple. What really happened is that because they despised him, they didn't bring their sick people to him. That's all. It's not as if they quenched his power to heal sick people. It is that they didn't rate him. If in the ministry of Jesus, this is what we see happen all the time. People will bring their sick to him and he will heal them all. Abi? But in his hometown, they despised him. And so nothing mighty happened among them. Why did mighty works not happen among them? They despised him. If you despise him, you won't bring your sick people to him. And so it's only the few people that came that he laid hands on and they got healed. Are you listening to me? So, when we see a move of God in a man, the first thing the Bible teaches us on how to handle it is that don't quench it. He said, instead, test it. The answer is not to quench it. The answer is not to shut it down. The answer is to test it. Test it. It says when you test it, 
you will be able to discern what is good and what is evil. It says you will hold fast to that which is good. You will reject what is evil. But we also need to bring the church to a place where we are able to test. The maturity to test comes from a sound church that is faithful to the scriptures and is open to the leadings of the Spirit. I hope you know that someone can come and say everything right and be wrong. <laughs> and that's the place of discernment. That is not everything that is good, that is necessarily God. Right? So we can even be fighting the things that are glaringly evil. But in our testing, our testing does not just is not just the word, it's also the spirit. The inner witness, that thing in you, that just knows that something is not right. But we won't quench it. How did the apostles say we should handle supernatural experiences? Don't quench it. Instead, test it. How do we deal with the excesses? We will hold fast to what is good, we will reject what is evil. Rejecting what is evil covers many things. It is in the teaching. Because when a church is grounded in the knowledge of the character of God, there are certain prophecies that will not fly in our midst. I hope you know. Uh -huh. When a church is grounded in the teaching of God's word, there are certain prophecies that won't fly in our midst. In that way, we are rejecting that which is evil. So when someone comes and says a thing, all of us are, um, okay. Okay, we are very you, we are very you. Thank you. I'm gonna sit down because we know that Sebri Debi you are talking, but we will not say because of Sebri Debi we will quench the spirits. I hope you understand what it means to quench the spirits now. It is to turn your back on his workings, amen. amen. So Jesus could not do many miracles because they despised him. I pity those people who will come this to church today because I've almost exhausted my notes. The second thing the apostles taught us on how to handle supernatural experiences, guess what? Is to earnestly desire. There is a difference between desiring and engineering. <laughs> so he says you should earnestly desire. Look at Moses. He said, Baba, show me your glory. He desired. You see, you can't engineer a move of God. You can't engineer manifestations of the Spirit. Um, and it is because the Spirit gives as He wills, actually. So in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3 to 4, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness with signs and wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Spirit, according to what? According to his will. Praise God. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, let me read down because I have not come down before. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. It says that all these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as it determines. So, there's actually a difference between um, 
Okay, so I was saying that you can't engineer a move of God because it is according to the will of God, right? But you can desire, and I'll show you scriptures for that soon. But you don't quickly say this. Let me first talk about desire. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's in chapter 12, the last verse. So remember that supernatural experiences is everything, everything charismatic, everything you can think of charismatic, vision or something, the gifts of the spirit or anything you can think of, right? Supernatural experiences. So I'm putting all of them together, including the ones that don't sound like gifts of spirit. Well, I fell in a trance. Which of the nine gifts is that? I don't know, bro. I fell in a trance. I saw a vision. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 29 to 31, it says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret. And it says, now eagerly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you the, more, the most excellent way. So the Bible says that we can actually eagerly desire the best gifts. That means that we can say, Lord, we want this at work in our lives. We want it. There's a difference between, Lord, we want it, and let us engineer it. A good example that comes to mind, I won't mention him so that it's not like I'm shading anybody. So of late, right, if you've been on, on social media, especially Christian Twitter around, you'll see how that um, a revival broke out in Asbury. And it is, um, it's so amazing because I've imagined things like that happened before. You know, how that people gather in a place and um, they are teaching girls were just a normal service that ends up running for three months <laughs> or something, right? And there have been revivals like that. Most of the funny, not funny, most of the revivals that happened, right, in early Pentecostal history, um, our own Pentecostal history, last 100 years till now, where meetings that started like that, people were praying and then it's never ended. The Welsh revival, um, even the one that was, that had the scandal, Lakeland, Florida, right? Um, this one, so Asbury happened in, first happened in 1970 or something. So meetings like that, right? They usually start with people just gathered, next thing, it did not end again, right? But I remember that sometime last year, um, certain people also tried to have a revival. And you can't engineer it. They, they don't used to engineer those kind of things. You can't engineer it. You will spend millions and you'll have wasted millions of naira. You'll call people, you'll, call, you'll get an open field or a stadium, you'll hold a meeting. But after that, people will go but you will say that we are trying to have a move of God. It's not you. They did not put it in your hand to start a move of God. <laughs> what is in our own hand is that when the Lord says it is time, he meets willing people. Praise God. Amen. That is why the revival that broke out did not break out in big churches. He broke out in a school. That's such a cruel joke. <laughs> because he doesn't need you to engineer it for him. He's going to do what he's going to do. But when it comes to these experiences, right, these workings of God, what the Bible actually teaches us is that we can desire. We can desire them. Lord wants to see more miracles in our community. That is desire. Amen. 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 Lord wants to see more miracles in our community. That is desire. 
Lord wants more prophecies. He wants more people to be edified through inspired words. That is desire. A pastor can desire that, Lord, as I teach, I don't just want to read from the text. I want you to fill my mouth. That is desire. By the way, let me just quickly say this. That when it comes to prophecy, right? Prophecy is not only foretelling. It is also forth-telling, to speak forth, right? The reason why I'm saying this is because when, when I'm saying that you can desire prophecy, the only, many people are used to only one aspect of prophecy, which is foretelling, foretelling events and all of that. And that's why we can say that, oh yeah, I false prophet because it not comes to pass, right? There's that aspect. But there's also the aspect of foretelling, um, speaking to the end that people are edified, comforted, and exhorted, right? So it is important that we also know these things. So a, a pastor can come and desire, because the second way the apostles taught us to handle these experiences is to what? Desire, wrong answer. Endlessly desire. In fact, another scripture that says something like that, 1 Corinthians 14 verse one. So we read 12 verse 31. It says that earnestly desire the best gifts, and I show you a better way, right? And it talks about the way of love. In 1 Corinthians 14 verse one, it says follow the way of love, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So churches enter extremes because they try to engineer these things. They try to engineer moves and workings of the Spirit. Praise God. But on the flip side, churches also enter lethargy. Lethargy, sorry. They enter, I didn't pronounce them now. Lethargy. Thank you, Jerry. Churches also enter lethargy, or they become lethargic because they keep quenching the spirits in the name of order. So these are two ex ex extremes you don't want to enter into as people. There's the extreme of desire. That's actually not desire, it is engineering. So for example, I can come here now, see how this guy is playing beautifully, and I will just blow breeze. Even though because Pastor has taught you people. I, I'm actually now. <laughs> if he did not teach you, we'll do it for you. If I say touch, you don't fall down. Are you joking? Uh, now we'll start it. <laughs> we'll do it and you'll touch. <laughs> Praise God. So we can engineer it. We can play strings. And I'll say some things. I only have to say some things. And if you are poetic enough, you can cause moves. If I lay hands on you and I say that, there's a working on the spirits on you right now. Let it flow like ripples of fire. It will ripple. <laughs> so truly we can engineer. But that's not what God's word says. God's word says that we should earnestly desire. So check yourself now. Hmm? Are we quenching the spirits in our churches because we want to bring order? Also, are we engineering spiritual things because we want to claim desire? We must be careful to stay within what scripture teaches, right? And make sure that we stand perfect and complete in the whole counsel of God. It is God's desire, 
that we see these things. I personally call them tokens of heaven. For example, when it comes to healings, it's not everybody that will be healed. But once in a while, God shows up, heals a sick body to let us know that, don't worry, I did for you. God's final answer to sicknesses and diseases is heaven. Not the gift of healing. But we will not despise it when it comes. We will earnestly desire. And that's why if there's a sick person among us, we will lay hands on the sick and we will pray for the sick. We have come to a generation and time where if Moses was in this time, when he came down from that mountain and his face was shining, we'll say he rubbed Vaseline. Or when... <laughs> or when he came down from that mountain and he said, ah, I saw a cloud. I saw the glory of God. We'll say he's lying. He was hallucinating. That we cannot account for that in the Torah. But we can, because it is there. We just don't like it because it's cringe to us. It is there. We just don't like it. And I'm telling you now that it is the fruits that invalidates it. It's also the fruits that gives credence to it. It is not the level of weirdness. In fact, when a church is grounded in the truth of God's word, the weirdness reduces. The weirdness reduces. So they add, you will see a church that is grounded. They will prophesy. There will be order in their church. Someone will give a tongue. Someone will interpret tongues. There will be order. And the interpretation of tongues will edify others. We will comfort those who need to be comforted. We will exhaust. We will call us back home to God. When we lift up our hands in worship and we sing the right songs and the presence of the Lord comes down, it will push us to repentance. It will, it will, it will set our hearts on fire again. Because it is the fruits that either invalidate or validate the experience. So remember the two things I said. How do we handle supernatural experiences in the New Testament? We don't quench it. Many churches will not see moves of God only on occasion where God sovereignly just does things, bypassing their lack of desire and does something. Why do you think, despite the extremes of the Pentecostal sect, there is a lot more miracles, even though they are also fakes, do you get? Of course, we already know what to do with the fakes from this teaching, Abi. But hear me first. When they desire, they bring their sick people to him. Do you get it? When they desire, they bring their sick to him. I've already told you, I'm not promising you that every sick person will be healed. At the pool of Siloam, all the sick people were there. Jesus went to only one man and healed him. Jesus, why did you choose only that man? I don't know. You are the God Almighty. I don't know. <laughs> but even then, even then, many people brought their sick to him. And in certain places, the Bible said he healed them all. All. He healed them all. What is the lesson for us? That God Almighty now went to his hometown and he could not do any mighty works because they quenched the spirit. Not that they quenched the power of God in God, but they despised him. 
they looked on him with contempt. So they did not bring their sick to him. They did not bring their needs to him. But the power of God is going to meet your needs. But they did not bring their needs to him. So we will not be a church that quenches the spirits. We will be a church, we will be a people, we will be believers that earnestly desire. Lord, we want this among us too. We want, if you have, if you have doubt about tongues, Lord, we want to do real tongues, neighbor, no. Give us the real one. Do you get? We won't, we won't shut this down. We will desire it. The first time people spoke in tongues after so many years in Pa'am school, as much as, you know, many people don't raise Pa'am, right? And that's fine. It's fine. But just hear my example, okay? <laughs> in Pa'am school, how did they start speaking in tongues? So what happened was that Pa'am traveled, right? And while he was away, his students were studying the book of Acts. And they saw that in the places where the Holy Spirit came down, people spoke with tongues. And the Bible says they fasted, not the Bible, sorry. The books <laughs> said they fasted and prayed, and they had so much time praying until Palm came back, and so he was speaking in tongues. My point is that anybody can say whatever about the tongues, whether it was the bad tongues or the good tongues, right? But one thing we know is this, that they desired and through scripture, we see the same things. That we'll see a person who is sick in his body, and he will look intently at them. And they will say to him, silver or gold I do not have, but such as I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I hope you know that it, no, let me say it. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Because they desired, he desired. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's a place of desiring. There's a place of earnestly desiring. We want to see God's work in our midst. We want to see more miracles in our community. We want to see God's hand move in our community. Because the, the, the point of the power of God, actually, that has been bestowed on the believer is in Acts chapter 1. It says that, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall do what it is. He will be a witness. So we can desire. The Lord wants to be a witness. Want to evangelize. We want to see your power move in our evangelisms. Want to see miracles in our evangelisms. When we reach out to people, when we talk to people, want to see them healed. I have seen this before. It happened. I was in Shagam during my NYSC. A blind man, a blind man saw. There was a girl that had a growth on her neck. It went overnight. These things happen because we desire. And hear me, there's a difference between desire and engineering. Engineering is that we think that our desire will draw it down. Do you get? We can desire, we can say, Lord, we want this among us. We want this among us. I remember an evangelist, um, one I went for, and I was speaking to, I got to this house, and I was talking to this man, and then he said, I saw the, his mom at the behind in the corridor. It was like, face me, face you. She was laying there. I said, I close your mama. I said, mama is sick. She was very sick. And then I went there, I touched her, and then we started talking. And it was as if new life. I don't know how that was, but she sat up. Guess, the funny thing is that she sat up, she was healed, she was totally fine, but she was still telling me that, ah, I was she just be by you, you're doing that a day. And we don't do Jesus here, it's the sharp mention name of that God, that is something that we do. And I was looking at her like, do you know how I met you when I got here? 
she was sick. She was an old woman. I didn't know if she was still alive. She was very old and very sick. And I said, I said, Mama, can I pray for you? She said, eh, I prayed for her. And I said, I can't tell you about Jesus. And as I was talking, as I was talking, she sat up and she became animated everywhere. She was healed. We can desire it. And these are not fake things. In Ibadan, in Ibadan, there was a guy in our church at TBC, right, who had this past disease and he got healed. Do you want to hear the complete story? Is that he read Pastor Sam's tweets, and in Pastor Sam's tweets, Pastor Sam's tweets say, um, talked about generational stuff, all those things, yeah, and that um, he doesn't have to hold you bound to, and all of that. And the guy read it and he believed it. Then we had a Tuesday service where Pastor Sam told me to preach. So while we were preaching, after preaching, we sang in Christ alone. And then watch, this is what desire looks like. And not quenching looks like. So we sang in Christ alone. Tosin was there. And then while we were singing that, I just sensed, had this impression that ah, let's pray for sick people in church. And it was just so weird because it's not my church. And I wasn't even a pastor there. Pastor Sam just gave me a platform that I should preach. So I didn't lay on anybody. So I said, if you are sick in your body, raise your hands. So a few people raised their hands. I said, if you are around them, go and lay hands on them. So they all laid hands on one another and they prayed and they left. So the following morning, someone sent me a message and said that I was having XYZ um, girl issues. And then she said that after we prayed, when we go back home, it was not there anymore, it was gone. I said, wow, thank Jesus. So thank God it's not me that lay hands on you. So I said, I have superpowers. Then on Sunday, Pastor Sam called the guy out and said the guy should come and share his testimony. And the guy started the story with how they read Pisam Suits. And then when he came to church again, they said people should lay hands on each other. And then it's, I remember I was saying that, go back and check it. Go back and check it. I said that when he was, while he was going, he just kept on remembering, go back and check it, go back and check it. So he went back to the hospital to check. And then he sent two results to Pastor Sam. The one of before, when his heart was diseased, and the one of after. His brother died because of the same sickness, but he's getting married this Thursday. That's tomorrow. He's getting married tomorrow. He's alive, well, fine. In a church, we can desire that Lord, we want things like this in our midst. The Bible says we can desire it. We want things like this in our midst. We will not shut it down because of the excesses. We know how to deal with the excesses. We are not babies. And that's what we will do also. We will teach other people the word so that they also know how to test and hold fast to that which is good and reject that which is evil. Do you understand? Yes, sir. We will not cringe when someone comes up and says, I have a word of prophecy. We will not say, hey, once you see the prophecy, we won't do that. We are not babies. We don't quench the spirits. Someone will come and say, last night I was sleeping. A man walked into my room. Then I realized it was an angel. We will not say, ah, they've caught me again to spoil our church. We will hear her out or him out. We will judge. Someone will not come and say, I had an out of body experience. We will not say, hey, whoa, hey, whoa, Potter people have come again, Potter people. 
we will hear him out. We will judge. We are not babies. Amen. Amen. How did the apostles say we should handle supernatural experiences? Number one, quench not. Quench not. Number two, earnestly, earnestly desire. Hallelujah. Let's go back to Moses. That sounds like. <laughs> so Moses desired the glory of God. And he had an experience whose fruits opened our eyes to the character of God. You know, I was going to read a scripture. Where is that scripture? First Corinthians. Is that in First Corinthians chapter 14? Look at this. I just remembered I was going to read this. Verse 39. 39 to 40. It says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Earnestly desire. Be eager. Ah, God, we want to prophesy. Don't quench it. Be eager. Be eager to prophesy. Be eager for spiritual things. Be eager. It says, Be eager to prophesy. And do not forbid. Do not forbid. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. Because you'll be thinking and saying something different now. Look how it says. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. If you want to understand the fitting and orderly way, it's not in this teaching. Pisam did two major teachings on tongues that shook our tables. Go and learn fitting and orderly there. Now, do not say because of fitting and orderly. You think that fitting and orderly means shut down. Let me bust your brain now. If you think fitting and orderly means shut down, Pastor Sam prays in tongues. Say you know. I pray in tongues. I hope you know. Pastor, I get praise in tongues. Hope you know. We will not shut down because we are trying to bring order. Do you get? There is order as described in the scriptures for our ecclesiology. We will stick to it. But we will not now be people who quench the spirit and do not earnestly desire. If we will see the workings of God in our midst, hmm, we will earnestly desire. Because in our earnest desire, we are opening up ourselves and saying, Lord, we are available. Use us. When we shut this down, we are saying, Lord, I am not available. Don't use me for such. I don't want. So when you say, ah, <laughs> I'm not available for that one. No. Uh, I, I will use the secretary. Ah, not me, bro. Not me. Not me. Not me. I want to show you visions. No, not me. Not me. Not me. That's what it means to quench. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So let this teaching cause you to open your heart and say, okay, God, I hear you. Do what you want to do. <laughs> I was about to say, do what you want to do. Don't stress me. <laughs> do what you want to do. I'm going to do something that Pastor Sam is should not be doing. If what I'm saying is eating you, I promise you, it's not you I'm talking to. <laughs> like, I'm not... I'm not throwing shades. Do you get? I promise. I promise. I wrestled with this teaching. I wrestled with it so much. I wrestled with it. I can't help it, right? Last night I was working on this on this show. I was just taking this through. I was thinking, I need an alternative topic because 
Lord, you're not gonna stress me. <laughs> but I couldn't fight it. And I, I, I was t- telling um, Sammy last night, we were discussing this. I was telling him that, ah, that's today's teaching. My plan is to put it at the end and just talk about the charismatic part of Moses receiving this revelation and all of that. But everything in me is just saying starts with it. So we're going to the deep ends in subsequent meetings that um, I lead. So I'm not shading you, right? If you fall, if you fall under, under my table that I broke, I didn't break your table, do you get? Okay, so back to Moses. So he had an experience whose fruits opened our eyes to the character of God. I think I'll talk about the other things later. So, let me just do this. I also wrestled with this today, but I was also wondering that why, but I realized that it's not everybody that ate that piece and stitching on generational course. So that I don't understand how I preach. So you not be fighting battles in your mind. We can't go with this. They keep children <laughs> on top of that person matter. <laughs> Right? So, um, in God's revelation to Moses, it says, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet, he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. I just want to run an overview from the beginning. So, I've, I've started already, definitely. Um, so that scripture, right, like I said, was referenced over 20 times in the, in the Bible, right? And you'll see it in different places. God's word just saying that this is who God is, this is who God is, up to the New Testament, up to the New Testament. So for example, let me just run through examples of that. In Psalm 103, verse 1 to 14, I read this a lot during our week because I love it. I love it. It was as if David just added poetry to what was revealed to Moses. Same thing, no? Well... You know, now as per Abba poet, he just mixed some poetic devices inside it. Verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my enamels being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins? Did you see that? He forgives sins. It's the character of God. And heals all your diseases. He heals diseases. It is the character of God. He heals diseases. Who redeems your life from the peace and crowns you with love and compassion. Did you see that in the revelation of God? It says God is compassionate, right? Who satisfies your desires with good things so your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate. Did you see that? He said he made known his ways to Moses and goes on to tell us what he made known to Moses. He says the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Oh, if he treats us as our sins deserve, would have been as Sodom and Gomorrah. Praise God. Hi. He says that he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. As the father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Praise the Lord. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8-10. to 10, The character of God. 
God, the character of God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 to 10. It says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And also, if we confess our sins, not confess our righteousness, because we'll be goats to do that. It says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful. It is his character. He is faithful and just. It is his character. He is faithful and just, and he will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He also says, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not enough. Chapter 2 now says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So he's saying that believers can sin because sin is not dead in believers. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And he now says that that sin that you can sin, he says you should confess it. He says, he now says that God is faithful. It was sometime late last year that this scripture jumped out at me. And it wasn't just about forgiveness of sins again. It's that God is faithful. It says that you confess your sins. God is faithful. No matter what you've done, you've been a goat. We beat you, you go back to the same sin. You're a goat. The Bible says that God is faithful and he will cleanse you from every unrighteousness. God is faithful. God is faithful. Hallelujah. It is his character. When he revealed himself to Moses, he referred to himself as faithful. He said, the Lord he is faithful. He said, he is just. That means that in his justice, in his justice, he said, he forgives sins, right? And he will not declare innocence the guilty. Now, I will explain that, but it's not today. Let's look at another aspect of the character of God. In Isaiah chapter 53, I love this one. Isaiah chapter 53. The reason I'm not talking about the justice part is because it's long. I'm going to explain certain things. For example, why I believe loving God sent people to hell. It's because he is just. Praise God. It's not because um, he's sending you to another boyfriend that will break your heart. Praise God. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1 to 5. If you did not get that, it's, it's gone. All right. 53, verse 1 to 5. It says that who has believed our message? Who has believed that message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Since when God became a man, there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Instead, we despised him, we rejected him, right? They said he was a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. And I said, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yes, we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for a reason. Watch. He was pierced for what? Our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Look at what's, his, what's happening here. The Bible says that he was despised. We didn't like him. We rejected him, right? When he came to his own, his own did not receive him. Bible now says that, despised that, he didn't break character. He took up pains and bore sufferings. He didn't break character because he is consistent. Do you know what the Bible now teaches in Matthew chapter eight? Um, Matthew, the author of Matthew, verse chapter eight, verse fourteen to 17. Um, 
It says that when Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law laying in bed with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began to wait on him. When the evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him and he drove out the spirits with the word and he healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Guess what? He didn't have to die to do that. Because as we read downwards in Isaiah 53, it says that it was pierced for a specific reason. It says it was pierced for our transgression. It was stricken for our what, iniquities. Do you understand that? So the reason why he died was for our transgressions and iniquities. But when he came, when he came, the Bible says that people despised him. They rejected him. But God's character remained from the revelation to Moses that he is compassionate. Despite the fact that they rejected him, he was afflicted and all of those. He did not break character. The Bible says that he still came healing sick people and carrying people's sorrows. He still came healing sick people, carrying their sorrows, taking their pains. Praise God. So you may have been thinking that if Jesus did not die, now die for my sickness, how can I trust God for my healing? You can trust him on the basis of his character. He is consistent. True scriptures, he is consistent. That is who he is. He is just. He is compassionate. He has loyal love. Praise God. He forgives sins. And he does not declare innocence the guilty. This is his character. Come rain, come shine. He stays consistent. It is who he is. Do you understand? He is who he is. And when he now says that, he will declare judgments upon the children of people. Let me just declare that for the sake of those who did not hear Pisam's teaching on generational cause. So in Ezekiel, this is where I'm ending this. In Ezekiel chapter 18, again, let me just read that place again. So God revealed himself to Moses and said that he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Now, Ezekiel, um, it's also possible that you even heard and you've forgotten. Good, good. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse one, it says, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you people mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The parents, have, the parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. It now says, as surely as I live, declares the sovereign, sovereign Lord. Um, it's not Calvin's that wrote this verse. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord. <laughs> declares the sovereign Lord. You will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For everyone belongs to me. The parents as well as the child, both alike, belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. Amen. You now read like a kind of verse, maybe it's a song said for a poem, I don't know. So he says, suppose there's a righteous man who does what is right and just. He does not eat at the mountain shrines, does not look at the idols of Israel. Um, he does not defile his neighbor's wife or have sexual relations with a woman during a period. He does not oppress anyone and everything and everything and everything and everything. 
Western houses suppose he has a violent son who sheds blood or does any of these other things right verse 19 says will such a man live he will not because he has done all these detestable things he is to be pushed to death his blood will be on his own edge so he's saying that um if there is a father who is faithful who is just who is not doing bad things right but now as a son who is wicked that son will bear his own sins he now goes on to say the same thing again on the flip side and says that if there is now that son that is wicked right now gives birth to his son and the new son the son that the son gave birth to right is just he's doing the right things he will not suffer for the sins of his father because it is the soul that sins that we will what die do you understand that so why did god now tell moses if god doesn't break character why did he now tell moses that he will um require the sins of the father from the children to the fourth generation if here he is saying that children will not suffer for the sins of their parents abby okay so exodus 20. remember what i said about how that that scripture was like john 3 16 for the writers of the new Te- of the old testament right so they quoted that again in exodus 20 verse 5 to 6. exodus 20 verse 5 to 6 and in deuteronomy to also but 5 to 6 so it says you know those pastors that sing with preaching exodus 20 verse 5 <laughs> you shall not bow down to them or worship them for i the lord your god am a jealous god punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who what who ate me do you get god is not just randomly picking children and killing them <laughs> or picking children and snuffing life out of them he says that it will punish to the third and fourth generation of those who ate me that means that if a child inherits the sins of his father continues in the sins of his father he too will suffer do you understand this same thing was written in deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 9 to 10 we don't have to read that but you can write it exactly the same thing right so if a father does wickedness right and you give birth to a child and you train your child in that way of wickedness too your child too will collect do you understand that so that's what it means that god will judge to the third and fourth generation is the third and fourth generation of those who hate me well guess what but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments so his character consistent consistent so the next time we meet, we'll talk about things about his justice and his wrath and forgiveness of sins and all of those things. Everything inched on what he revealed to Moses on the mountain, right? Have you been blessed? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at this excellent church. God bless you.